thank you for the invitation. I was looking forward, and I am uh, I'm glad to be here today. This is a, a great thing. So again, take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be looking at that passage today. But what I want to do now, this thing is all goofing up on me. There we go. It's been a while. What I want to do is just give a little review uh, and before we do that, just to kind of let you know who I am, uh, I'm uh, uh, from Spokane. I grew up in Spokane, 20 years down in Oregon, uh, ministering in a couple of churches down there. Back to Spokane, was up in Sandpoint for about a year. I interviewed up there and uh, got to know Pastor Zach over the last couple of years, so it's been good to get to know him and spend some time meet his family. And now you guys, so that's great. Uh, they're at a great place. I don't know about you, but Camp Tadmore is an awesome place to be. Wonderful camp down there. And the last time I was there was a few years ago, but there was 25. Great time. So it was just awesome. And I appreciate that. I've been married for 47 years to the same lady. <laughs> Praise God. In fact, coming up in August, we're going to have an anniversary, and that's cool. and four kids. We're down in the retirement center in the basement. They're upstairs in the young adults area. Now we have a great time. It's just uh, years ago when uh, we uh, would go to San as a Seaside, Oregon. In fact, we're going to go this, this year in September. Uh, oh, God. 15 that my, my wife said, Wait, what you guys retire and come back to Spokane? We'll buy a house together. <laughs> yeah, that ain't going to work. <laughs> but it did. It's been awesome. We, we lived, we've been in the same home, like I said, upstairs, downstairs, for almost seven years. I got to watch my grandkids be from little kids to seniors in high school, headed off to college next year. God is so good, isn't he? You know, not everybody can do that. I've just been so blessed to be with my kids, be with my grandkids. I just, um, God, just good all the time, and all the time, God is good. So uh, just a little history about me. So anyhow, the Gospel of Matthew morning is just uh, <clears throat> give you a long introduction and a real short application at the end. So if you'll take your Bibles and look at Matthew 13, we're going to get into that in a moment. <clears throat> but the Gospel according to Matthew, it's really been interesting. Uh, I'm going to be heading out on a trip as it were, a ministry trip to the city of Tel Aviv in November. And so I've been looking at a lot of things about the nation of Israel and the people of Israel, their history. But this is really unique because this book of Matthew is really written to Jews, even though it's in the New Testament. The focus is Jewish people. And obviously, the disciples were all Jews. They were men who were converted from... Uh, to Christianity. The thing that's exciting is they didn't give up their culture in the sense of who they were as, 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 as Jews. And so Matthew, uh, who spent, along with the other disciples, 30 or 40 years uh, compiling, as it were, all the oral stories, the teachings of Jesus. And after about 30 or 40 years, he compiles this in the book of Matthew. So some people say, well, Matthew didn't write the book, and that's not a big concern, but obviously Matthew's mentioned in the book, and so it gets attributed to him. Uh, the teachings of Jesus, uh, all the things that record the continual story of the whole Bible and how those all tie together and why Jesus is so incredibly gospel. So Jesus is the Messiah. We review the book. Jesus is, is the Messiah. He uh, is a, an authoritative teacher like Moses was. And again, that really, was really significant to Jewish people, to Israelis, as it were. And especially as I go thinking about going to Tel Aviv, this is really sick. You know something? I can't remember the exact percentage, but over 90% of the people today in the land of Israel, Jews, have no idea who Jesus is. Have no clue. They don't know anything about him at all. Very few. In fact, 
as I understood as I get preparing to go over there, in 1950-something, in that date, there were only 500 known believers in the whole nation of Israel. Only 500. That's just unbelievable. Well, that's really growing more and more because uh, God's people are being drawn back, not only to the land, but they're being drawn back to the Messiah. But anyhow, back to the story. That part of what we're looking at here for Matthew is that Matthew wants to show Jesus was from David. Matthew wants to show that Jesus, Yeshua, is uh, a great teacher just like Moses. And that's really significant to Jews because the five books of the Old Testament called the Torah were very significant. And Moses was the one who gave those truths to the nation of Israel. And that's really important. And I think this one is significant to me is that he wants, Matthew wants these people he's writing to, you, us today in this century, to know that Jesus is Emmanuel. And we know that name. God with us. That's a significant truth that this book is continuing to reveal to the people who read it and listen to it. Now, because of who Matthew is, he was very intentional in his design and wrote and laid out the book of Matthew. The first three chapters are kind of like the the headliner. The last chapters, 26 through 28, are like the the bookends of a story. And so that's how that's laid out. And then all of the the teachings, all of the teachings in between from from chapter 4 through chapter 25 are laid out in five books, as it were, five sections. Well, Matthew is pretty intentional in doing that. And the reason why is because the Torah... The Old Testament book was all laid out in five books. And so he laid this out for Jewish people to understand this connection between him and the great teacher Moses. So it's very, very, very important. He opens the book, you know this, with a genealogy. I love genealogies. No, I don't. I don't like genealogies. They're very boring to me. But here, really, really important to show that he came from a specific line of people. Secondly, uh, we come to the story of the birth of Jesus. It's a significant story, significant truth. And all the elements in that story, Matthew lays out in the first chapters here, how that fulfilled biblical prophecy. So Matthew does this for a very specific reason. He's just not trying to tell a nice little Christmas story. He's really trying to lay out some very significant truth so that those uh, who have this history, so that you and I today, so that the people we know realize, hey, this man, Jesus, came as God. And that's really, really, really significant. But more than that, I think one of the significant truths of Matthew is that that God had revealed that had come in the power, in the conception by the Holy Spirit. That's why this is so significant. You know, we as believers hear the story of the birth of Christ and Christmas so often, I think sometimes we kind of get familiar with that. You know, it just becomes so familiar, it doesn't take on as much significance. But guess what? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is a supernatural thing. This is not natural. This is not normal. God with us. How could that possibly happen? Let me ask you this question. Can God die? Can God die? No, he can't. So how in the world would God ever design a plan to man, thinking of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, something, an animal had to be sacrificed, blood had to be shed, How was God going to do that? Well, he couldn't do it by me because I'm just a man. So how did he do it? Matthew reveals that truth. God, Emmanuel, with us. God became man. Now, that's such a significant truth, and it's so familiar to us. Sometimes I even forget the importance of that. Because guess what? When God became man in the form, in the person of Jesus, a human being, Guess what happened? He died. Emmanuel with us. God with us died. Wow. 
God in his great wisdom, Matthew shows this wonderful, wonderful provision. Just like that Old Testament truths of all the sacrifices they had to go through, Matthew lays this out and says, hey, by the Holy Spirit. He is with us. I think that's significant. So we can see two major themes. He comes from the line the Matthew. We see that. Also that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's really, really significant. God wanted to make a comparison. To compare Jesus with Moses. Moses was a known figure who was important, like we've said. So let's look at that comparison. Here's what's revealed in Matthew, and I think it's important here. We see Moses who came out of Egypt. We see he crosses the Red Sea. We see that Moses spends 10 years in the wilderness. You know that story. Moses receives the, goes up to the mountain and receives the law from God. So here's the comparison. This is pretty cool, I think. Like Moses, Jesus comes out of Egypt. When he was a little boy, they went into Egypt. He comes out of Egypt, just like Moses. He passed through the waters of baptism. Jesus was baptized. He went through that water. He entered the wilderness for 40 days. He went into the backside of the desert, as it were, by himself. And I think that's significant. And then here it is. His first real dialogue, he goes up onto the hillside or the mountain and he presents his first major teaching, the Beatitudes. Just like, so this is new teaching, new truth as it were, just like Moses. So I think it's important that we understand this significance. So what Jesus is doing, what Matthew is saying as a review, that Jesus is even greater than the one they respect so much, Moses. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. He's going to deliver Israel. He's going to give them new teaching, truth from God. He's going to save them from their sins. And he's going to bring about a new covenant relationship. Now listen, I'm not a Jew, but guess what? I am so grateful that God gave his son Jesus. Because guess who I get to be? By grace through faith. Part of that new community. Part of that new family. Part of that eternal kingdom. Wow. 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 Please don't become so familiar with your faith that you forget what God did for us and who he's placed us in community with. It's just awesome, awesome, awesome truth. I think it's powerful. I saw, pardon for the aside, I saw a video of a Jewish man and a Palestinian woman. Guess what? These two people were trained and grew up being taught to hate one another. Both of them lived in the city of Jerusalem, and they literally hated each other. Long story short, because this Palestinian heard the truth of Yeshua, her heart got changed, and she recognized that she was challenged to love her enemies and be reconciled to them. You know that? You know something? The only person that can do that is Christ in you through the power of the Holy Spirit to reconcile you with Two people, and that word hate is, just a, is a pretty thin word. You can't communicate the, the animosity between these peoples. We see it all the time. Jesus, Yeshua, changes all of that. New community. And here's this Jewish guy standing next to this Palestinian woman, and guess what he says? We are family. That is a miracle of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Matthew is all about. And that's why it's so powerful. I think it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. So again, just the parallel here we have is chapters 4 through 7, chapters 8 through 10, 11 through 13. We're going to look at chapter 13 quickly. And then at chapters 14 through 26 and 21 through 25. These are the parallel books of the Torah. They each have a significant truth, and I think that's really, really important. So quickly, the first section, chapters 4 through 7, I'm just going to review that, is the Jesus' announcement that the kingdom of God is here. Jewish context. 
Here are these Jews living in the land, and Jesus is saying, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is arriving. Uh, it's beginning to operate in the world, okay? It's taking place through him. This is what you understand that when they begin to hear this story, they're going, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And this is part of the importance of why Matthew's gospel is so significant, not only for Jews, but for us as his people, and I think it's important. He's come to confront evil, spiritual evil, uh, the, the, the legacy of the enemy, the power of this world. He's come to restore God's rule. It's part of what Matthew is all about, the king. Matthew is the gospel of the king, and I think that's significant. And his reign over the world. He's going to create a new family of people. Hey, brothers and sisters in Christ, guess what? Part of that new family. I'm so waiting. I've never been to Israel. I'm so waiting to go there to meet Jews who I am part of their family. Wow. Because I've, I've only been around Gentiles all my life. You crazy people. <laughs> I get to be around God's people in a different scenario when I say God's people. His chosen people. They get, we get to be family together. Redeemed together. And I think that's powerfully significant. So in the midst of chapters 4 through 7, Jesus comes to his first major... This first time he gets to really present some new truth. And we know what that is. Chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed be. And he lists all of these wonderful truths on the mount. And what's he really saying? He's saying, people of the king, this is how they live. Wow, that's pretty significant. And he's saying it's an upside-down kingdom because there's no hierarchy in God's kingdom other than himself. There's no rich, there's no poor, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. It's an upside-down kingdom, not like we would be used to thinking about. I think that's, to me, that's pretty, pretty important. We need to follow people in the kingdom of God. Look at me, and they go, well, you're a pastor. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. But guess what? That doesn't give me any more privilege than any of you. That's really important. If you just come to Jesus, guess what? You're just as privileged as one who's known Christ for 50 years, who has great intelligence in the sense of understanding the truth. I remember when I first came to Christ at 16 years old, I didn't know squat. I didn't know anything, but I did know this. Jesus came, he died for me, he was living again, and he said, I want you. Wow. Changed my life. Changed my life. No privilege in God's kingdom. And I think that's significant for us. Uh, all of the principles, all of the truths in the Torah that was revealed in the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, my life is going to reveal to you the fulfillment of all of this law. Not the abolishment of the law, not the getting rid of the Old Testament, but to fulfill the truths and prophecies that God began to reveal to the Jewish people way back when. I've come to fulfill the law in my life. And I think that is so powerful. And what that's going to show is, it's going to show that you, now listen, this is applicable to all of us, that we need to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our strength, and our soul, and our neighbor as ourselves. And that's what God, Jesus was doing, and that's what this book is revealing to, to God's people. How to love as a, as a person of God, and listen, even your enemies. Yeah. Got any enemies? I have some enemies I don't know. Sometimes they pull out in front of me in a car. <laughs> they become my enemies. <laughs> but there are some people who kind of are antagonistic. To be very honest with you, I don't like them very well. But as God's truth begins to continue to empower my heart, what's he saying? Just like this Palestinian and this Jew. God says, I need to be reconciled to my enemies. How do you do that? Through Jesus Christ. 
And that's what he begins to reveal in Matthew chapter 5. Now we go on to the next section, chapters 8 through 10. Excuse me, yeah, chapters 8 through 10. And Jesus shows how people, again, are to live day by day. And in this story, in, this, in these chapters are nine stories. Here's the stories. You know them. You've heard them before. And I think it's significant. The first group, there's three. First three groups. The stories, but there's three stories. The second group of threes, he talks about the stormy seas. You know, the boat and the seas and all that. The two blind men and the man who cannot speak. That's the second group. girl and the sick mother is the two blind men and the man who can't speak. Those are stories. Three sets of three in these chapters. It's exciting. In between those three sets of three, Jesus begins to share a powerful truth. It's real simple. Follow me. Those stories begin to illustrate the importance of the significance of who Jesus is. And in the midst of sharing those stories, he says, how did all this happen? Second group of stories. How did all this happen? Third group. How did all this happen? And in between those, he says, by me, by grace, and the power in me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And I think that's really, really powerful stuff. And then it leads to his second large group of teaching, and that's chapter 10. And here he talks about the, the coming of the kingdom, uh, the importance of Israel. Uh, and here's the, here's the neat thing. Well, maybe it's not so neat. It's kind of tragic. That Jesus realizes, Matthew shows this, that as he begins to be revealed to the people, guess what they're going to do? They're going to reject him as king. They're going to accept him as king. He understands that. He fully, fully follows through that. And I think that's now really the important thing. He, he, and here, here's something you need to understand. He's talking to these Jewish disciples. He's talking to the, his followers, the large crowds that gathered. Why did they follow Jesus? Why did all these crowds gather around him? Well, I don't think initially it's because they thought he was this great prophet or this powerful person, or that he was even Messiah. He just fed them. Why do you think they showed up? Because he put food in their mouth. These weren't rich people. Kind of says something about how we need to be men and women who meet the needs of people. God used it in a very significant way. Jesus used it in a very significant way. He helped significant ways, and in the midst of those three, story, three, three triplets of stories, guess what he says? I'm the king. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It's the gift of God, and I'm giving you this gift. So as you're helping people, as you're ministering to the needs of your community, as you're helping your family who are struggling, as you're dealing with people who have big problems, who's going to solve them? You're not going to solve them, but you're going to happen. You're going to get to speak. You're going to get to live. And you're going to get to say, the good news is. The good news is. Some people are going to hear it. Some people aren't. We'll look at that in a moment. The next section, and we're going to get in chapter 13 in a moment, is the chapters 11 through 13. It's the next section in, in relationship to that. And it's really interesting What Jesus is doing now, he's setting up to tell some stories, some parables. And he does that for a reason. Because he realizes and sees as he's been revealing himself up through chapter 12 that people are going to reject him. And he's beginning to see that rejection. And so he's responding to that by telling stories rather than just coming out and laying out the hard truth, as it were. Laying out the the profound one word at a time of the gospel, so to speak. He tells stories. And there's a reason why he tells stories. But there's going to be three responses you're going to see in 11 through 13. Actually, you've seen it from uh, chapter 1 through chapter 13. There's going to be a positive response. I think that's really important. People who really love him and see him as Messiah. 
then you're going to see a neutral response. I didn't really realize this before, but Jesus' family and even uh, just were kind of neutral in their response to Christ. They go, well, he's really not who we thought he was going to be, who we thought the Messiah was going to be. Because he came across a little differently. And then obviously, there was the ones who just absolutely rejected him. Most of those were the spiritual leaders of Israel, the pastors, as it were, the spiritual guys who were supposed to know what's going on. They just this guy and said, you are a wacko. You are a heretic. These things that you're talking about, you're, you're, you got your head so up in the clouds, Jesus, that there's no way. And they just totally rejected him. Lock, stock, and barrel. Those are the three responses you see in these first 13 chapters. So, and I think that's important. But then he comes to his third area, his third major teaching, and that's chapter 13. So take your Bible, turn there, let's look at this parable. Because I think it's significant. <clears throat> I think it's important because it's Jesus' third major time to teach truth in a way that's, that's important for you and me, but particularly in the context of Matthew to these Jewish people. I think that's important. Let me do an aside again. I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I know he's coming soon. Maybe in my lifetime. That'd be awesome. I do funerals over the years, and um, most of the time I like gravesides. I enjoy them, specifically, particularly when I'm dealing with a brother or sister in Christ. But one of the things I've used in secular grave signs, I've shared the gospel and said, you know, Jesus is going to come back one of these days, and the trumpet is going to sound. And I would say, I know you don't, probably don't totally understand that, but when that happens, we're going to meet him in the air. Well, I said, you know something? I'm terribly afraid of heights. But when that trumpet sounds, I will never again be afraid of heights for I will meet him in the air. Well, that's going to happen, people, whether you believe it or not, because the truth of the Word of God tells me it will. And his truth is truth. There is truth. Not just how you feel. Truth. And it's, it's powerful, and I think that's important. Anyhow, let's look at the parable. Uh, remember, those that were listening were Jewish people to the most part. He was speaking to Jews in the, in the land of Israel. And so they understood these parables. They'd seen them many times. So he wasn't teaching them something new in the sense of uh, what the stories were. But, so they understood these stories. And again, the three response, responses. Some were very positive. Some were going, yeah, I don't know. And some were said, Not a, no way. So you got to take into context that. Uh, let's look at verses 1 through 3. That same day when Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, a great crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Now get this. They didn't just plant their little hineys on the beach. They came down to the beach, and they stood there. They were waiting for something. They were expecting something. What do you think they were expecting? Not teaching from the boat. They were expecting a handout. At least that's what I think. So that's why they came. They wanted to see this guy. They wanted to get something from him. So he got in a boat, and he, it says, um, he says, and he told them many things in parables, stories, saying, a sower went out to sow. Now, it, you know the story. So let's look at it quickly. Verses, verse 4, it says, and he sowed the seed, and it fell on some ground. The first one is the hard ground. I think we understand that. The Word of God says, ground by the way. And what that means is, in Israel, in the land of Judah, there were uh, fields and they had pathways in them where people walked all the time. And so they got pounded down hard. That's what he's talking about. So you think of a sower. He has his sling bag. It's full of seeds and he's out sowing. They didn't have machines. They did it by hand. So where did some of the seed fall? On this pathway. So, so the, the sower went out, some of the seed fell it's hard ground. Pretty clear. The seed's not going to sprout, okay? Verse 5 and 6. Other seeds fell on rocky ground and they, uh, where they did not have much soil. Well, I think that's pretty clear. 
part of the field or another, there's going to be rocks around, and the land of Israel is kind of limestoney, and underneath the soil is pretty rocky and hard. That's what happens. Some of that seed falls as he sows it. Verse 7, the thorny ground. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. I like gardens, and I hate weeds. And weeds choke out. You know, but they take over if you don't take care of them. Well, here is the thorny ground. Uh, competing thorns, listen, that choke out the seeds. Okay, that's the ground. And they're seeing this. They're understanding the story. Verses 8 and 9, and then the good ground, the good soil, the soil that's been prepared and nurtured, and the seed produces much fruit. So, Jesus is saying in this story, the seed is thrown upon ground, and some of the seed doesn't produce at all. Some of the seed uh, has some crop, and some of the seed has a great crop. They just understand that. So the disciples say in verses 11 and 12, uh, they ask a question. I think it's important. Chapter 13, verse 10. Then the disciples came to him and said this, why in the world are you telling these goofy people stories? Why are you telling them stories? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Wow. These people, he's saying, I'm telling them because those who don't and won't listen or understand are going to get this. They're not going to understand the spiritual depth, the truth biblically about the good news. They're just not. So I speak in parables, in stories. Why? Because stories and parables need a little bit of interpretation, understanding. And so that's what he's doing. In fact, this is a prophecy, and it's almost a word-for-word -word quote from Isaiah. And he was, Isaiah was talking about the nation of Israel, the Jews. And he's saying, hey, these people are going to become hard-hearted. They're going to become blind and deaf to the good news. Wow. So look at verses 18 through 23. So Jesus now explains this. He explains this, and it's really important. He says, and I want you to get this. Because this is so important to the application for you in your town and in your community and in your home. There's going to be four kinds of responses to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ in your community. It was back then, it will be, and is today. I think that's important for us to understand. When you sow seed, four responses. Four basic kinds of hearers. He's saying, disciples, I want you to be aware of something. When I send you out, these are the kind of people you're going to encounter. He got them ready. Okay, they didn't go out with their pie in the sky kind of thing. They knew what was going to go on, and I think that's important. Four, four responses. Maybe to say it in this way. The unresponsive, the skeptic, the worldly, and the receiver. That's what he said. Be ready for that. That's what you're going to see out there in the world. The seed, what is it? The word of the kingdom is coming. The word of God, the gospel, the good news. You know, it's really important. Gospel, good news. Is it good news? It is. It's good news. What? little aside again. I want to challenge you. You know the good news. The gospel of Jesus. By grace are you saved. Amen? Yeah. Not of yourselves. It's a gift. Well, what's a gift? Getting something. I was so glad. Believers today, you need to encourage one another with that same gift, that same good news. That's the God. If you was down, guess what we need to do? 
Encourage one another even the more as we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching. We need to share the good news. The same gospel. Not the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the sanctification. To build you up. You come here not to get pleased. Not to listen to good worship. But to hear the good news. Why? Because you're going on into a world that's going to respond way differently. But guess what's going to happen? Some of you are going to get beat up. Some of you are going to get slapped. Some of you are going to say, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And some of you are going to experience great joy because there'll people respond. And when you come back, guess what? God says, we need to encourage one another with a good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hard ground represents someone who has a hardened heart of sin. They just aren't going to listen. They're not going to understand. And because of that, when the lands on their heart, in their mind, and their soul, guess what the enemy is going to do? He's going to take advantage of that crazy hardness, and he's just going to get all away as if it was never there. Hmm. The stony ground. Here's a person who goes, wow, I've never heard that before. That's kind of neat stuff. Well, I'm, wow. But guess what? The seed doesn't change his heart. He's just excited about what he heard. Hmm. Guess what happens when troubles come? <laughs> Guess what happens when uh, he gets pressured? His faith disappears, quote, unquote. Hmm. Thirdly, the thorny ground. One who seems to receive the word. You see it springing up. And I use the word seems because I don't know. Only God knows that heart. But it says it seems to respond. But I really believe this is telling me that the heart was never changed. There was never a 2 Corinthians 5.17, new creature stuff going on. A new creation, creation in this person. It's full of still the riches and the pleasures and the lusts. And all those things of the world. And guess what happens over time? He just turns around and goes back. Turns around and goes back. Doesn't have time for those kinds of things. Then obviously the good ground. And what happens when seed falls into good ground? Now, this is not a, shouldn't be a maybe. Shouldn't be, well, this is sometimes what happens with a person who comes to know Jesus, who experiences the grace of God. God's word says when it falls into good ground, a soul, a heart, and a mind who gets transformed by the very person and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens? That person's life produces what? Fruit. Sometimes a hundred, sixty, or even thirty-fold. Read John chapter 15. If you abide in me, you will bear what? Much fruit. Listen, I don't want to judge any of you, but encouragement tells me this. I want to do, sir. How do you do that? By the very grace and Holy Spirit living in you. When your life is changed, you're new shutters in your house a new driveway. You just don't get your windows cleaned. Guess what you get? A new structure. A brand new one. The problem is the old man still hanging around. And he's a big influencer. So there's this war going on. Galatians talks about it. But guess what? If you know Jesus, God builds into you the authority and the power of the good news to be a fruit producer. Amen? That's what you've been made to be. And so the gospel message of the kingdom is so powerful because it says in Matthew, same book, go into all the world and preach the gospel, Mark says. Disciples. Wow! That's our job. Transformed by the gospel. Why? Because Jesus has come. Jesus is king, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. Wow. So what do we take away from chapter 13? Matthew 28, I just quoted it. Teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. What a great promise. He's never going to forsake you. Joshua was told this many times in the first two chapters. I will never leave 
nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. And don't do that in your own strength. Do that by the grace of the power of God. Really powerful. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 through 13. I love this. I love scripture. When I get the opportunity as I develop relationships with people who, yeah, maybe they're one of those first three responders. I always try, especially as that relationship grows deeper, to always share the Word of God with them. Sometime, somehow, some way. Why? Because the Word of God in Hebrews 13 says, the Word of God is alive and active and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword, able to discern the or divide between the bone and the marrow, the heart and the soul, and I like this, even be able to, to discern between the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Man, I can't do that. As well as I might know somebody, I can't get that close into the heart and soul of a person. But guess what can? So as you share your life, as you communicate the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to one another, what an encouragement that is, when you go out and you say, this is who Yeshua is. This is who Jesus is. And you get to tell your story. You pull out the sword of the Spirit. And guess what he does? Not you. Guess what he does? He divides between the soul and the spirit and the thoughts and the intents. And you don't even know when that happens sometimes because the word of God is powerful and alive. Here's the encouragement. This is encouraging. (laughs) Because you're going to get discouraged, people. It's going to happen. Some will reject the word and Jesus outright. They'll spit in your face. I've had it happen. More than once. They don't want anything to do with God. Any truth they hear gets plucked away. Secondly, some will seem to respond, but they're going to fall away. That's disappointing. That's discouraging. But that's just the way it is. It didn't impact their heart. Their heart, the Word of God says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Wow. Some will seem to make a life change. But guess what they continue to do? They keep holding on to the past. They won't let go of it. They won't let God transform it. Some people say, well, you can't lose your salvation. I absolutely believe that. Well, what about? What about? And I go, I don't know. But the parable tells me something. Maybe their heart really wasn't changed by the gospel. And they're just hanging on to their old life. And they can't let go. And then, listen to this. You will encounter some people in your life that when you sow seed of your life, your changed life, the gospel of Christ in you, when you sow into their life, guess what's going to happen? It's going to explode. Some will be 100, some will be 60, some will be 30. Do you even know the name of the guy who led Billy Graham to Christ? Probably not. Nobody hardly knows. Moody Bible Bible Institute, Dr. Moody. Who led, the, who led that guy to Christ? Some crazy shoe salesman on the street in Chicago. I don't know who the guy is. But guess what he was faithful at? Living Yeshua in his community. Living Jesus in his community. And the seed that he throw, threw out, as it were, landed in some fertile soil. D.L. Moody. Billy Graham, and you can name a ton of other people. One of my favorite people is Uncle, Uncle Vernon. <sighs> Quiet soul. Never heard his voice go above four decibels ever. He's led so many people to Christ over his 75 years, it's, I can't even count them all. Hundreds and hundreds of people. Why? I don't even know who led him to Christ. Somebody did. Why? Because the person who talked to him, who lived with him, who shared his life with him, who began to be in community with this unbelievable, sowed the seed of God into his life. And he's changed hundreds of lives. Who's going to get the reward? Well, both of them will. But there's going to be a silent sower, so to speak, who's going to say, who's going to hear the words of Jesus. And God is going to look right into his face and he's going to say these words. Well done. Well done. And nobody even knows his name. 
but God does. And that's what counts. Amen? That's what counts. Listen, our responsibility isn't to produce the seed, isn't to produce the soil, isn't to produce the fruit. That's God's job. So here's some things as I close. I'm glad you've been patient with me this morning. Our responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ, your major responsibility when you wake up in the morning, this is your job. And I say that in a good way. A good job. The gospel job. This is your job. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And here it is. You know the next phrase, don't you? And your neighbor is yourself. What is that? Matthew chapter 13. Sowing the seed. Guess what? You understand that parable. Why? Because your heart has been enlightened. The disciples understood that parable because their heart was enlightened. Those standing on the seashore, huh? Because their heart wasn't enlightened. They just wanted a handout. That's our first responsibility. Our second responsibility, listen, and I'm so glad for Revelation Church. Your second responsibility is to live in community, in covenant community, committed to one another. And I think that's so powerfully important. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. You need to know this passage. You need this truth. I think it's so powerful. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers, and to fellowship. And I love this next phrase, verse 43. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who had believed, here it is, all who had believed were together. And guess what they were doing together? They were sharing the gospel, the good news with one another, what God was doing in their lives every day. What was the result? This next verse is not about communism, and it's not about socialism. It's about meeting the needs of people in covenant community. And they were their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds and to, to the proceeds to all. Listen to what this next phrase is. This is so important. As they had need. When they came together and they saw a brother or sister or his family in need, guess what they did? They met it to the best of their ability. How did they do it? By God's grace. Due to the community. What did that do to this Jewish community who hated Jesus, who didn't even know who he was? Guess what it did? Look at the look what it goes on to say. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. Guess what? They didn't, they didn't go someplace else. They continued to go to the temple. Why? Because they were Jews. That's where they met. And when they got to the temple, what were they doing? They were rejoicing like none of the Jews had ever rejoiced before. They were lights in the midst of that dark religious culture. Because that's what it ended up being. And then guess what happened? Praising God and having favor with all the people. Because they were loving their neighbor. And what did God do? Now listen, what did God do? It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Who are they talking to mostly? Jews. People who rejected the king. The gospel changed them. So what do you need to be? Write this verse down. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts daily. Make him first. Seek first. Know this verse. And all, because of that, and always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Listen, if you can't give a reason for the good news, you better check your heart to see if you're in the kingdom. That's God's job, not mine. If you don't know how to give a reason for the hope, if you don't know what that hope is that has been given to you by Jesus, check your heart. Because maybe you're one of the three soils. But maybe you're the one who's ready to see the seed produced in your life. Amen? 
So this morning when you come, I'll pray before you have communion. Ask yourself this question. Do I understand the hope that is in me? Do I understand the grace that he has given me? Do I understand the gift of life and foreverness that he has shared with me through his son Jesus? Do I get that? Hopefully, yes. But if you've kind of lukewarmed a little bit or it hasn't been on the top priority list, guess what God says? He says, when you take the bread and the cup, remember something. What do you need to remember? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved by faith, and that not of yourselves. Listen, remember this this morning as you partake. It, the gospel, is the gift of God. Why? Not because you have to work for it, but because you get to live for it. And that's a difference, a powerful, powerful difference. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Matthew. Thank you that he's laid out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have a responsibility, Lord, to, to love you with all of our heart, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And Lord, that we have a, uh, just a powerful to be part of a community of God's people, a covenant community. So this morning as we come to share and remembering, Lord, help us to say thank you, Father for designing eternal life and forgiveness. Help us to remember to say to Jesus this morning, thank you, Jesus, that you not only lived, but you died providing it. Thank you, Father, that you rose and raised him from the dead. He is now at your right hand. And remember to say thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have empowered us to take these truths of grace and to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Father, I thank you this morning for the living word of God. I thank you this morning for the living Savior, Jesus. I thank you this morning, Father, for the powerful Holy Spirit that lives within us. Empower us by your grace, we ask, in your Son's glorious and beautiful name. Amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.